Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your love that is vast as an ocean. No love higher, wider, or deeper than your love. I praise your name this morning, God. I worship you. And our heart's desire is to come together as a body of Christ, to submit to your will and your plan, to confess our need for you, and to express our love for you, O God. Bless this time in your word. Speak to our hearts. Mold and shape us, O God, by the power of the Spirit and the power of your word. We rest in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, one other spot you can turn, and we'll get there in just a couple minutes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to turn and stick a finger in there, or a bookmark, or a bulletin, we'll get there in a few minutes. But uh, we're in John 15 and 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Last week we started chapter 15 of the book of John. We're in the middle of what's known as the upper room discourse. And Jesus is teaching, living with, loving, explaining to his disciples as he's on his way to the cross. Hours from his death, he's still loving them to the end as he said he would, pouring into their heart, pouring into their lives, giving them instruction and, and, and training them in righteousness. And as they walk either through the temple court or the valley of Kidron where there are tons of vineyards, they, he, he picks up on this theme, this idea, and he makes the last of the ego ami statements, the I am statements where he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And he goes on to say, as we studied last week, while I am the vine, you, speaking to the disciples, speaking to those following him, you are the branches. Abide in me and everything will go well. But a branch that is cut off, it is not useful for anything. It is to wither and to die. And so the, the mandate was that we need to stay connected to our source. We need to rest in him. We need to abide in him. As we said, as he said last week, outside of me, you can do nothing. Outside of Christ, we are nothing. We have nothing. We are accomplish nothing. In him, all things come together. Well, outside of him, we can do nothing. And I pray as a church that we would grab hold of that truth. We must be connected to our source of life. And Jesus said, I am the life. And so we connect to Him, and He provides all we need in Him that we might bear fruit for His glory, for the glory of the vine dresser. And so we're going to pick it up now in verse 9. And just continuing with this theme, as Jesus is teaching His disciples, he says, he says to them, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And so there's our theme word again for, from John 15. If you want to put a name on John chapter 15, it would be abide. 
abide. And we, dis- we discuss what that means. Abide means to stay in, to live in, to breathe it in, to soak it up, to don't leave it, to never forsake it. Just hang out in it. Abide means it's where we make our abode. It's where we live. And, and Jesus says, hey, abide in my love. But now he says a couple other things in this verse that we need to kind of look at. He says, first, as the Father loved me. And hold on a second. We can't just go, oh, okay. How has the Father loved Jesus? How has the Father loved Jesus? We, we should be able to define that because he's saying, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Well, they would know or they would understand how the Father has loved Jesus. The answer to that question is, how has the Father loved Jesus is unconditionally. Without condition, the Father has loved Jesus. They have always been and forever will be together in, in a perfect fellowship. They're part of the the triune God. They are in fellowship with one another without discord ever. But God the Father has loved Jesus the Son for all time, space, and eternity unconditionally. There has been no stipulation. There has been no mandate on Jesus' life that says, if you do this, the Father will love you. God the Father has simply just loved unconditionally the Son. So if we understand that, then you take the next step. Jesus says, I have loved you also. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. So how does Jesus love us? Unconditionally. Hear that. Hear that, church. Hear that, maybe not yet part of the church, but thinking about getting saved. Jesus loves you without condition. There is no stipulation on Jesus' love. This is so important for us to remember. His love for you and I is not based on our actions. His love for us is not based on the things that we've accomplished. It's not based on our merit. It's not based on anything we've done. He loves us without condition. How do we know that? Because it says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet at war with God, while we yet hated God, Christ died for the ungodly. And his sacrifice, his death, is the act of love. It's the act of love. And so, while we were yet enemies of his, he loved us. That's how we can know that he loves us without condition. He loves us unconditionally. So it's not based on our actions. He loves us. And then he says, abide in that love. Just hang out in that love. Spend your life in that love. Invest everything you have in that love. Live it up. Soak it in. Breathe it. Let it pour over you. Don't leave it. Don't forsake it. It sounds pretty good. It's a nice invitation. That sounds good to me. I want to hang out in a love that isn't based on condition. And Jesus says, hang out in that love. Hang out in that love. Abide in. Remember that as we, just, as we continue on. Look at verse 10 now. He says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So he's continuing the conversation. And the next thing he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is why what's known as hermeneutics is so important. 
And you're like, Herman who? <laughs> Hermeneutics. It's the theological term. It's the idea of that we study scripture and we interpret scripture based on scripture. And so we don't just pull a verse out by itself and say, this is what it means. We have to take it within the context of the conversation. We first take it within the context of the chapter. Then we take it within the context of the book. And then we take it within the context of the entire Bible in order for us to understand a scripture. If you were to just pull verse 10 out and simply state it without reading verse 9 before it, you could come to a completely wrong conclusion. And this is why it's important that you and I take good time to understand hermeneutics, to understand the way we interpret the Bible. Just read verse 10 by itself. Forget about what you just heard in verse 9. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That sounds like a conditional statement, does it not? If you do what I've told you to do, then I will continue to love you. Well, hold on a second. We just talked about how Jesus' love is unconditional. And so it sounds like initially that Jesus is saying, you just keep doing what I told you to do. You obey my commandments and I won't yank my love from you. I won't pull that away from you as long as you continue to do what I have asked you to do. Compare that to what we know of Jesus. Compare that to what we just learned in the verse 9, that Jesus' love is unconditional. As the Father has loved Jesus, I also have loved you. So is he saying, obey my commandments and, and you'll stay in my love? I won't yank it out of you? I won't yank it from you? No, that can't be what he's saying because that goes against the very nature that Jesus Christ is. His love is unconditional. So what do we do? Okay, pause for a second. Think for a minute. What is Jesus trying to say when he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love? It sounds like it's a conditional love. That's a works-based religion. That means if I do this, this, and this, then God will love me. Christianity is not works-based religion. Christianity is not based on anything we do. Christianity is based on what Christ has done for us already. So we need to back up and say, okay, what exactly is Jesus trying to say? What he is saying is this. The way that we abide in his love is we, the way we stay in his love is by obeying the commandments that he has given. The way we stay in his love is by obeying the commandments he has given. Listen, us not obeying those commandments is not him yanking his love from us. It is us getting out of his love. Us not obeying his commandments is us pulling ourselves out of his love. His love is vast as an ocean. We just saying no love is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper than your love, O oh Lord. And it doesn't move and it doesn't change and it's always the same. So if that is the case, then how do we no longer abide in his love? We step out of the ocean by not obeying his commandments. It's not that God says, I'm taking the ocean somewhere else. It's that we go... I don't want to be in the ocean anymore. And so we get out and we don't abide by his commandments. You've probably heard this analogy before, but it's appropriate. The old story goes back in the 50s when cars were cars, right? You know, you, you, you bought your car based on how much it weighed. <laughs> 8,000 pounds of steel. And they were boats, you know? Just this, My friend had a, and this was a late 60s um, Buick Skylark, I think. And we had to like yell across the seat, you know, because if I sat on one side and he was on the other side, you, you had to call each other in order to talk to one another. That's how big these boats are. Back in the 50s, a young couple, let's call them Gladys and George. 
Gladys and George started dating. Young couple just enjoying one another's company. And George one night has got this beautiful new car and he loves showing it off and he, he wants to take his girl out for a ride. And he says, Gladys, let's go for a ride. And Gladys hops in and she scoots across the seat and she nuzzles right next to George as he's driving along. George sticks his arm around her and Oh, they're the, the cream of the crop, the top of the town. They're having a blast. Everybody enjoying one another's company. And life is good. And, and then life happens and they get married and they start having kids. And Gladys gets pulled in other directions. And George is starting to work extra hours. And kids are growing up and sports events happen. And life happens and kids grow up and leave the house. And they begin to have kids. And all the while, Gladys and George still in love. But life's different now. And, and, and years and years and 50 years go by. They're celebrating 50 years of marriage. And they're riding around in the car. They clean it up for the day. And, and Gladys is sitting over on the other side, looking out the window. She goes, oh, George, you remember? Remember how we used to sit real close together and, and, and I cuddled into your side? And, and remember when we did that when we were dating? And George says, yeah, I do. She said, whatever happened? What, what happened? And he looked at her and he said, I never moved. George still behind the wheel. And that's what we do. The, the ocean's still in the same place. That's what you and I do is we, we move across the street, the sea. We step out of the ocean and we go, you know what? I don't want to obey the commands. I don't want to hang out in the ocean anymore. And God, God's like, just, just hang out in the ocean. Just abide in my love. There's no better place for you to be. God is saying, I never moved. I never moved. To get back into the ocean. Now watch this. It's not a bad place to be in the ocean. Look at the next verse. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy remain, may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is like, I'm not throwing these commandments on you so that you walk around stooped over with this heavy weight on your back and life is so hard because i got to obey God. He's saying, no, 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 no. His scripture would say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just hang out in my lo- and my love. Abide in my love. And I tell you what, you do that, you abide in my love by obeying my commands, your life will be fantastic. It will be full of joy. Now we have to pause for a minute here and make a stipulation because most of us would associate joy with happiness. And there is a difference between the two. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is based on emotion or is an emotion-based feeling. Happiness comes and is based on stipulation or on, on our circumstances. And, and so sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're not. Jesus is saying, no, you abide in my love and my joy in you will always be full. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. So there must be a difference. Let's, let's demonstrate happiness. Anybody ever play church softball? Yep. Yeah. Anybody? A couple of you? Most cursing you've ever heard, right? Church softball leagues, right? <laughs> Church softball, slow pitch church softball. If you played it, you know, life is good. So happiness based, or the emotion of happiness. You get up there and you're like, man, I am ready. And you, the pitcher lobs the ball, sweet spot, perfect. And you crank it, man. You just perfect contact. And that ball snaps off your bat. And it flies over the center fielder. 400 feet, a home run. You ever try to hit a softball 400 feet? It's like impossible. But you're just like, woohoo! And you run the bases. The hit was so good, the other team is high-fiving you. They're like, right on, good hit. And you touch home plate, and you're like, on top of the world, yeah! Life is good. 
Next step back. You get up there and you're like, I'm going to do this again. Three pitches, three swings, and you strike out. In church, softball. That's pathetic. I know because I've done it. You don't strike out in church softball. You just don't do that. How do you feel? This is the worst day ever. It's awful. Happiness based on circumstances. One moment you're on top of a mountain. Next moment you're in the valley low. Joy is not like that. Why? Joy is always abiding. Joy is always there. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It's a gift given to us in the spirit in which resides inside of us. His word would tell us the fruit of the spirit is love. And you guys know the rest. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, and gentleness, self-control. You're like, yeah, I know the rest of the verse. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then that love is manifested in different ways. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. That's the way the love is manifested to us. And so as we abide in his love and the spirit abides in our heart, we have joy no matter the circumstance. And we can look at life and we go, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Woohoo! No, that would be insane. (laughs) Well, we can say, I just got diagnosed with cancer, but God is still on his throne and I'm okay with it. And there's a joy, a peace that surpasses understanding. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You can have that. How? Abide in my love. How? Obey my commandments. What commandments? Let me know. Just tell me, what do I need to obey? I want to hang out in his love. Well, funny you should ask. Look at the next verse. This is my commandment, verse 12. That you love one another as I have loved you. When I abide in my love, just obey my commandment. What commandment are you talking about? Let's start with this one. Love. How? Love the way that I have loved. How have you loved me, Jesus? Go back to verse 9. We already talked about it. You've, Jesus has loved you unconditionally. Love one another without condition. It's not based on what they've done to you. It's not based on how they've treated you. It's not based on what they've done for you lately. You just love in the way that Christ has loved you and I. We are to love. We are to love. Love is being others-centered. I don't know how many times I've said that in the last nine months. It's been a ton. I said 3,000 the first service, and I'm like, oh, that's an exaggeration. Pastor shouldn't exaggerate. That's lying. That's not a good example. I don't know how many times it is. It's a lot. Love, the definition of love is being others-centered. What does that mean? And that means that you and I wake up each morning, and we make a decision. Love is not an emotion. It doesn't come and go. It's not just something that we feel. It's not a feeling. It's a decision that you and I make. And it's an intentional decision to say, I'm going to live my life for the benefit of other people. That's the kind of love that Jesus gave you and I. That's the kind of love he's talking about that we are to give others. A love that is others 
centered. For Wednesday, I got to teach uh, a message that uh, on a subject I don't like talking about. <laughs> That's the joy of going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Is sometimes you get stuff you like, sometimes you get stuff that you don't like. But I spoke on giving on Wednesday, studying First or Second Corinthians chapters eight and nine. It's all about the gift that uh, the Corinthian church is to prepare for the church in Jerusalem. And so I spoke on giving. And most pastors would say, most good pastors would say they don't like to teach on giving because it seems self-serving. And it does to some degree. If I stand up here and say, hey, you guys need to be generous. You need to live generously. It's kind of self-serving because I get paid by what you guys give. And I said, while that does make me think, that's not why I don't like teaching on giving. Why I don't like teaching on giving is because I'm not good at it. I'm not a good giver. I'm not a generous person. I struggle with this. And I have for all my life. And what I've come to realize is, in, in one degree or another, we all do. We all struggle with generosity. We all, we all want to take care of ourselves. And Jesus is saying, step out of that stream. And step into the ocean that is love living your life for the benefit of others, intentionally living your life. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because the economy of God's kingdom, which is different than the economy of this world, the economy of God's kingdom is not time or talent or treasure. It's love. The economy of God's kingdom is not time, talent, or treasure. It's love. Why would I say that? Well, think about it for just a minute. If it were time, well, why wouldn't it be time? Well, because God's eternal. He's outside of time. He has no need of time. He is outside of it. So he has no need for our time. It isn't our talent. Why? Because like when your boy or your daughter rides the bike for the first time or they take those first few steps, you celebrate that, but you aren't totally impressed by it, are you? Because you've been walking, you've been riding a bike your whole life. Hey, God, watch, I learned how to juggle three balls. And God's like, good boy. He's like, why don't you give me all the balls that have ever been made? In fact, I'll create a billion more and watch me juggle those. He's not overly impressed by our talent because he's omniscient. No, he's omnipotent. That's the one I'm looking for. He's omnipotent, means he can do anything. So he's not overly impressed by our talent. And what about our treasure? Why would he, why would God have need of our money? Does God really need our cash? The answer is no. Why? Because he's omnipotent. He can speak money into existence. He says, I'd like to sit on a mountain of gold. How big you want the mountain? That's God. He's able to do that. So does he need our money? The answer is no. So what is he doing? When we are to be good stewards of our time and good stewards of our talent and good stewards of our treasure, what he's doing is he's looking at the way we're loving through those things. I'm going to give my time into serving others and and going down to the soup kitchen. I'm going to give my time in meeting somebody and laying by their bedside while they're sick. I'm going to give my time to make cookies for my neighbor next door. That's a loving way to use your time. God, you've given me a talent to play bass guitar. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to stand in front of people and I'm going to lead in worship. That's, that's a, a way to steward your talent for His glory. 
God, you've given me a paycheck that comes every week or every month or every, or even if I'm not working right now, you've given me uh, an ability to make money and I give you thanks for that. But if I, I have treasure, I'm going to give some back to you in, in the use of the church to glorify your name. God's looking through our checkbook. God's looking through our talent. God's looking through the hourglass and saying, how are you using those things to demonstrate that you love, that you love me and that you love others? The, the, the economy of God's kingdom, it's not time, talent, and treasure. It's love. It's love. I'll show you. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church who had walked away from that love, though they were good at many things, and though they uh, did different things. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. He's saying, you've got talent, great. Uh, The tongues of men, the tongues of angels, great. But if you don't have love, it's just noise. I stand in front of the drummer, And I don't know if you've been close to a drum set at all for very long at all. I played speed metal for 10 years. It's very, very loud. When you stand right in front of the drummer, if the drummer decides he's getting on the cymbal and not getting off, after about a minute, it's like running your ears through cheese graters. It is harsh. And you're just like, oh, that's what Paul's saying. You do words, you got languages, great. You, you're good at talent, you're a talented person, great. You do it without love, it's like that cheese graters on your ears. It's of no value. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and though I have all faith, though I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. He's like, it doesn't matter how smart you are. That's another thing about God's economy. It doesn't matter how smart you are. God's not interested in just your knowledge. He's interested in your love. And the saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Demonstrate love to somebody and then you can speak into their life the knowledge that has been given to you. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Even generosity, even charity, that's what he's saying. You go and serve in the soup kitchen but you're not doing it in a loving and in abiding in his love. It's of no value. It profits me nothing. Speaking of love, he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. It is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. My sister's favorite verse, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen, love never fails. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, the ocean doesn't move. Love never fails. Jesus never yanks it out of our sight. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But that when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. I love this line. He challenges them to grow up. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He's telling the church, grow up. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I'm also known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these 
is love. Abide in his love. Hang out in the ocean. There's no greater place to be. His joy is so complete in that. Abiding in him means abiding in unconditional love from him. And so we should obey his commandment to love as he has loved us. They had to, they had to create the word. Do you guys know that? As they were writing the New Testament, they were like, you know, we've got these four or five different Greek words for the word love that mean kind of different things. And, and there just isn't one that doesn't quite fit. It doesn't fit what we're trying to explain. So they said, well, let's create one. Okay. The word is agape. As they were writing the New Testament, they coined a new word, agape love. What is that love? It's a self-sacrificing love. It's putting others' needs, others' wants in front of your own. It's, I will give up everything I have so that you could be benefited. That's the kind of love that Jesus gave you and I. That's the kind of love He asks us, commands us to give to others. You know what? I think He kind of writes it into our DNA. It's Mother's Day. Moms, I think as you... Maybe, I don't know if it's written into our DNA as much as it's birthed or fanned into us, uh, and especially into moms, as you find out that you're pregnant and you've got a, a child growing in your womb, and you build that bond. What you're building is that agape love, that unconditional love for this child, and that child comes into the world, and you love them unconditionally. Yes, they're waking you up seven times a night. Yes, they've gone through 25 diapers today. Yes, I don't think I could give you any more milk. I'm sorry. But you love them. How do, how, how do we know this? Let me ask you this question, moms. Have you loved your kids but not liked them? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You're like, man, I love these kids as long as they stay in the room right now. I love them, but I don't like them. That's unconditional love. I'm loving them not based on the way they're treating me. I wonder how many kids actually remembered that today was Mother's Day. That's the kind of love we're talking about, moms. Fan that inside of yourself, not just for your kids, but for all. And dads, men, take a cue and do the same. I think he's knitted into us a little bit. Find that, fan it. Teach me, Lord, to love the way that you have loved me. It's a self-sacrificing love that he calls us to. And where he calls us, he leads us. How do I know? Look at the next verse. 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. And Jesus said, let me show you. Let me show you. And just hours from now, I'm going to be laying down my life for my friends. He's going to go on to say, and we won't get there today, but I call you friends. Jesus leads the way. A good shepherd does. He leads the way. And he's calling us to live that way, to lay down our life for our friends, for our family, for our coworkers for those that God has placed into our lives. Lay down our hopes, our desires, our dreams, our goals for His glory. 
I love this verse. I've loved this verse for a long, long time. When I met Michelle, we started dating, fell in love quickly, sort of like Gladys and George. We were hanging out in the car. She was close to me. I said, man, this is great. I know this is the woman I'm going to marry. And so I set a date. I said, I said, on Christmas, 1997, I'm going to ask Michelle to marry me. And, uh, and I was like, uh, this was in August. I'm like, man, Christmas is a long way away. That's too long. I don't want to wait that long. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do it Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, Thanksgiving weekend, I'll ask Michelle to marry me. A couple days later, you know, that's too long too. <laughs> my birthday's in early November. I'll do it on my birthday. What a cool gift that Michelle could give me. She could become my bride. That would be awesome. I'll do it. No, that's, that's, that's too long. Hey, there's a new holiday in October, a Hallmark holiday, just so they can sell more cards. It's called Sweetest Day. I'll do it on Sweetest Day, October 15th. And that's what I did. October 15th, I went to her parents' house at 6.30 in the morning. We were going to, do, to go into Michigan to go to a show. And I said, I want to make sure I get my father-in-law's blessing. I said, um, Larry, can I marry your daughter? He said, yep. I said, okay, here's a cup of coffee. Let's go. And I was on my way to Michigan. I said, thank you very much. I had the ring in my hand. I went to her house to pick her up. I said, Michelle, I love you. And I went through this long thing. I said, I want to spend my life with you. And I said, will you marry me? And she said, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I was like, all right, let's set the date. And uh, that was October 15th. We were married March 28th. I don't mess around. And uh, I learned that from my parents. They'll tell you their story someday. But uh, uh, we're just like, let's get this show on the road. And uh, so just five months later, we were married. And we were standing there at the altar. Pastor Dave behind us. We weren't, it wasn't in this church. It was in the church I had come from. And he's speaking over us. And he asks me a question. He said, Chris, how are you going to demonstrate that you love your wife? I said, Dave, I want to follow in the um, footsteps of my Savior. I want to love the way that my Savior has loved me. When he said, greater love is no one than this, than the one who lays down his life for his friends. I said, today, here, now, I lay down my life so that Michelle and I can begin our lives together. And in the unity candle procedures, are bringing the two candles into one, the lives are drawn together and, and, and put together as one life now before God. And I said, I'm going to lay down my life that Michelle and I could begin our lives together serving our King. And I'm so grateful for His grace and His mercy because I have failed that time and time again. Though that was the intention of my heart, to live and love the way my Savior has loved, I have dropped the ball time and time and time again. I'm grateful for the grace of God who has forgiven me, and I'm grateful for the grace of my wife who continues to love me. Though I have failed. That's my goal every day. I want to love her the way God loved me. I want to love her the way God loved me. I'm not trying to say that to pat, my, tap, you know, pat myself on the back, because like I said, I've blown it. A bunch. Yeah. That should be the goal of our lives for everyone. Our coworkers, our church members, our friends, our family, that we would love the way that our Savior has loved us. We were at soccer yesterday morning. Kindu's playing soccer, and I finally got to go see him play a game. And uh, we're driving back from soccer, and Michelle's reading through her Facebook, and she just spouts something off, and uh, I grabbed it, and I was like, oh, that's, that's, that, that kind of is 
making the point that I want to make. And she went on to read the article about the statement, the status update. And uh, the, the article didn't really have anything to do with the status update or the way that I interpreted the status update. But it simply said this. You guys know what a hashtag is? Yes. All right. You, you guys are familiar with the hashtag. Some of you are like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> well, smartphone. You got to get the smartphone first. Once you get the smartphone, then you download the app. Then you download you know, Facebook. And then you download Twitter. Twitter is where hashtag came from. What is Twitter? Twitter, you're making... You're making your status update is 140 characters, and then you summarize your status update with a hashtag. And so you say, blah, 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 hashtag one word or two words, and then that tells you what the status update is, okay? Well, this is what she read to me yesterday. She said, hashtags will not save our girls. And of course, you know what's going on in Nigeria, and you know the, some 200 girls that have been taken. I took that and I said, exactly, exactly. Status updates are not enough. That's not love. Love is giving more than a status update and a hashtag. A hashtag is not going to save our girls. A hashtag is not going to find Kono. A hashtag is not going to rescue Saeed or stop abortion or save somebody from hell. God is requiring more of us than to simply nod at it on our Facebook feed. He is demanding that we would give our lives in love, even if it cost us everything. Our dreams, our hopes, our goals, our ambitions, even our lives. Because it cost him his. Because it cost him his. Is it wrong to hashtag about the girls from Nigeria or Kono or Saeed or abortion or saving somebody from hell? No. It's wrong to stop there and say that's enough. That's not love. Invest yourself. May we live self-sacrificing. I get a little bit frustrated by all the social updates and, 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 and that we are not entirely upset. That's the wrong word. The one social update that I would love to see a whole lot more is my friends are going to hell. My parents need Jesus. I've got a coworker that I've been witnessing to. Would you pray for him? He needs to get saved. Because while these situations, the girls in Nigeria and Saeed, those are terrible. Those are awful things. There is no greater, worse thing, if I can say it that way, than a soul for eternity in hell. And I pray that the way we would demonstrate our love is by rescuing souls from hell. Eternal damnation. That we would invest all that we have in proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He loved us while we were outside of the ocean. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He died on our behalf. And that we would love others in that way, laying down everything we have for His glory and to share the gospel with one another, with, with others. 
I got a Spurgeon quote. Imagine that. I love Spurgeon. Listen to this. In a demonstration of love, he said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Love that way. Even if it costs us our lives. And it will. It will. Give up everything for Him. There's no better place to be. Step into the ocean. Abide in His love. His joy will be made full in your life. Love Him the way He loved us. Love others the way He loved us. Imagine, imagine the world were we to love that way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, for redeeming us even when we spit in your face. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that endures when I fail time and again. Thank you, Lord, for leading the way and laying down your life. Greater love is no one than this. And I pray that we would live our lives laid down before you, loving others the way that you have loved us. God, I can't do that in my own strength. I I don't have that inside of me. But the beautiful thing is when we place our faith in you, when we believe in you, you give us the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Thank you, Lord. May we love like you have loved. Fill us with your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.